Welcome to Life Karma. Mm. SB here. USA. USA. Born in USA. Song always gets me. Classic. Classic. If that doesn't pump you up, I really don't know what does. That's very cool. Classic oh. rock song. You know, I was listening to the news today, and um, I was honestly thinking about that song. I listened to the news, and it actually brought me to tears. The USS uh, Mercy, they were interviewing the general or lieutenant or whatever, and um, he just kept saying, and what brought me made me very humble is... We are so thankful. We're so grateful to be able to serve the people, our fellow Americans, and be here in New York. Like, this means the world to us, to be here to serve and help our fellow Americans. This is what we signed up for. You know, when you think about it, our, um, our first level of defense is on our homeland. And this has been an act of war without war, right? So we, we have all these things in place that the government can do. And it's great to leverage our military for the benefit of our citizens. It's beautiful. But they were so grateful yeah. to be able to serve. And I just think about Emily's brother who's in, who serves in the military. And I'm like, these guys are just different. They're just different. These men and women are different. Yeah. Like, yeah. You know, I mean, I, I don't know. It just, it, it made me grateful. I've just never, every time, it doesn't get old, right? Every time those, the, the, their service, you always just think about them flying airplanes and killing people and saving us that way. But here they are literally on the front lines of our virus. Right. Their sacrifice is much appreciated. Oh my gosh. And they're paid nothing. Basically. They're paid very little. No, very little. Money is not the motivation. No. Like it is for most of us, for me, you know what I mean? Like money is usually the motivation. Right. I don't know. And it made me, you know, I brought, I brought a book, one of my favorite books with me tonight. And it made me think about this book in Animal Farm by George Orwell. That's and, a classic oh piece man. of literature. I started reading it again. And I, it talks about, um, you know, the pig in the very beginning is talking about your value is what you produce. And, they, and the pig does a marvelous job of focusing the other animals on their boss, the farmer, Mr. Jones, does not produce by his definition and that's eggs or milk or whatever. And therefore he has no value. And it made me think, well, what, what do we value production wise as we produce? You know, it's funny where I work, we actually have a term, we call it production employees and non-production employees. (laughs) And the production employees are those who are, um, who create revenue. And the non-production employees, even though they're very productive and we love them dearly, they're usually connected with an expense, not uh, revenue growth. It's They're more like a staff positions or positions that burden overhead, right? Right, right. There's a different... But it's, yeah. I mean, but I, and we, I work for a great company with a lot of great people. We, right. we treat people fairly and wonderfully, but just the, just what you call things. It is, know, it is. It's it what defines you it. It's weird. Right, and, and so instead of eggs or whatever, you guys take profit or uh, producing income, right, as a 
as a production and value is placed on that just like in every other business because you're not a successful business unless you produce value. Yeah. I had a business coach tell me once, um, Sam, if you're not making it or selling it, your job's in jeopardy. Amen. Which is, which is this notion of production. Right. Right. And, um, so, uh, but our military does the opposite. They serve, they yeah. produce, I guess their produce production is serving and keeping us safe, Pro- protecting, I guess our freedoms. Yeah. Protecting our freedom, incur- uh, encouraging democracy. Right. You know, all that kind of stuff. Protecting so. individuals' rights. I mean, Freedom. this is fascinating. Yeah. I mean, produ- I've thought a lot about it through this because I see people losing jobs. I see businesses failing. And I think, what, where, where do we place value? I was talking to my 12-year-old about this. I said, so, about producing. And I said, listen, you pick your friends by something that they produce that you give value to. Right? If he's funny, nice, or, you know, good at basketball, whatever, whatever you connect with, you have given that a value through production. And I think we do that in general. And so it made me think, well, what do we really value that people produce? Like, what's the first thing that comes to your head when I say that? What, uh, what do I value yeah, do that you people value? produce? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just like you generally, not you as a business, not you, you as an individual. Hmm. That's a hard question. It is. And I've been thinking about it. And the first thing that came to my mind was I put value on someone that produces what I define as intelligence. Hmm. I put value on people that produce some improvement and service and love. And I put value on good people having high character and they, they produce people with high character produce results in a way that is ethical and moral. I put value on that because you can produce results in all sorts of ways. Correct. I'm talking about, yeah, you personally. So, and that makes sense, right? What you look for that someone produces for you. I mean, when I want, when I want lunch, I want it to be a good lunch and I love hot fries. And if they're not hot, it pisses me off. And I (laughs) take it back and I say, my fries are cold. Give me some hot fries. So in that particular instance, if I'm paying a buck 99 for some fries, I want to produce some hot tasted damn fries. Yes. yes. And I want the quality of that food to be delicious. So that's why one of the reasons I like Chick-fil-A because those waffle fries typically are very hot. Yeah. When they're not hot, they're not good. They're not. That's exactly the point. You know, and I don't value kind of like women. (laughs) (laughs) You're going to get some bullets for that one. That's going to get feminism. The feminist wouldn't. She wouldn't. Feminist. She wouldn't have liked that comment. Remind me to come back to that because I had someone. Well, anyways, yes, fries. Yeah, value. So I value a, a tasty food when I order it. I want the production of the of the meal that's healthy and safe and tasty. Um. That would be an example. When I buy yes. clothing, I value that it fits and it doesn't fall apart. When I buy a car, I value that it gets me from point A to point B. That's why I probably don't have the G wagons that you have and all the fancy stuff. I'm not stuff. even going to comment on that at all because the G wagon can get you to point A point to point B in style, my brother. And with a ticket. Oh yeah, yeah. like do not drive a Maserati because that can get that. you a t- ticket. That'll. That'll get you from point A to point B. I like a good engine that produces speed. 
Yeah, Ferrari engine. Fast V8 speed, like Ferrari. Not, 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 yeah, Zero to 90 in less than turbo. like three seconds. Yes. Kind of crazy speed. There is no way I hit 91 in that slow, that, that small of a space. I'm just saying. I don't know. Just saying. Innocent till proven guilty. Exactly. Innocent. There's no evidence that said that you were 91. No, there wasn't. Now, I saw him listen to the feminist podcast with their son that's 11. And she said the very first comment that came out of his... Um, mouth after he listened to the podcast was mom why do men make more money than women and then the second comment was all the girls in my grade are a lot smarter than the boys in my grade yeah it's pretty intuitive she was elated that he would even think of those things yeah yeah there's a national woman's day was like last week wasn't it and they're no. still about, oh, no, I know what it was. Two days ago was the day that women have to work more than men to get the same pay in a year. Oh. Like it was on March, it was like March 27th or like something. Like inequality pay. Right. So they have to work through March, like, um, and to get paid the same, like men could start working on March 27th and make the same money that women starting in January would make. Oh, dang. Like it's, it's that skewed and in our state in utah it's really skewed women make yes. far less than men yes. it's even worse than the national average i think yeah i, I can see that yeah. i can see that so my mother was the breadwinner of our family yes you have a totally different perspective on it. yeah and uh she made the money my uh my my father figures were dead beats her picker was off she had a bad picker but um you know they never had jobs consistently and uh or so i I've tried to make sure that I'm gamefully employed and my wife could work inside or outside the home based on what she wanted to do. And she, she's done both. And I think she prefers working inside the home because there's a lot of good work to do there, raising our kids. And but the difference with women is, is in my opinion, is they're always willing to sacrifice though either way to have stability for their children. Yeah. Cause women will love their children more than anybody. Yeah, absolutely. They love them more than their husbands. Yeah, more than anyone. I'm yeah. like, they're the ones they get put first every time. Absolutely. When I understood that, I, my life was a lot happier. <laughs> it's a freaking trick. It's like, it's like we have a sex drive and we're making our competition for our wives' attention. Right, because as soon as they have kids, you're no longer we're important. Not, not, no, we're, not, we're not important at all. Yeah, you're just a turd. And we're fighting for any attention with the mm -hmm. very things that we made. Yeah. There's some, that's a paradox right there. Oh, this, that shows how smart or quote dumb us men are. Yeah. That, or it also shows how strong our sex drive is. Yeah. Or both. Yeah. Yeah. It's just fascinating. Like, it I don't know. Crazy town. It just drives me mm -hmm. nuts. It drives me. Anyways, I, I just know that's a war I'm never going to win. Like yeah. I need the USS Mercy to pull up to my house. Mercy. You need some mercy on that. <laughs> Give me some help. I need some mercy. Jeez. I need some dang mercy. Oh my gosh. This whole thing is totally different, isn't it? The world we live in, just a couple weeks changed. And what we value in producing has changed too. Now we just, like I was in, I did a little medical procedure today and I was interviewed on the way into this hospital clinic. And, uh, so that I, you know, made sure that I was asymptomatic of COVID and whatever. And, and it was, 
It's a whole new ball game, man. So what do they ask you for if you're asymptomatic? They, you, they, they ask you if you uh, have been out of the country. <laughs> they ask you if you have a fever or if you have any symptoms um, or if you've been around anybody with COVID that's tested positive. Mm. And I said no to all of those. And uh, They didn't take your temperature? No, I mean, I'm, I don't have a fever, but... But I was, I came, I was, I, I came, trust, pre- I don't trust I came, somebody being honest. See, about here's it. what I did. I came prepared. I had a mask on my face and I had gloves on my hand. So, and then when I was getting this procedure, the technician said, which way did you come in? <laughs> and I said, well, I came in the way the directions told me to come in through the, through the clinic door. And she said, that's good. Cause you came through the ER then we'd be Jeez. having a problem. And I'm like, she was really she was making sure my mask was totally on oh, my nose. Geez, and my, yeah. She was really, and, I, and rightly so, she should be concerned about that. Yeah. So I obliged her request. I to, yeah, I went to Whole Foods. There were arrows all over the place, and there was like only six people. I mean, they direct everything in there now. I just want to make sure social distance is happening. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There I think go. it's working in Utah. I think we're flattening the curve. You know, I think yeah. we had fewer cases today than we did yesterday. And Percentage-wise, too, yeah. So it's going down. It's going to take a moment. I think they say the 21st or the 24th of April is when it's going to hit its peak and start going down. So, Well, yeah, I don't know. I mean, Governor Herbert said we still haven't hit our peak, which doesn't make sense yeah. to me unless we got like a million tests being yeah. flown. Well, the peak being we've tested 22,000 people in Utah. The peak yeah. being the, when it stops growing. So it's growing at a less rate, so it's not exponential. It's growing at a flatter rate, but it still hasn't got the top peak. So mm-hmm. even though we had 67 cases yesterday, new cases, the day before we had 89, it's the growing at a lesser amount. And we had 22,000 people tested. So that's 4,000 more people tested than the day before. So they're increasing the testing and it's decreasing the new cases. So that by its nature tells you it's flattening. Yeah. And I'm like, I'm really glad that we live in Utah right now and not in New York City. Yeah. Ohio's amazing right now, too. Ohio's doing good. My thing is, is I don't, I don't know. I don't get it. I mean, obviously I don't get it. I'm not a medical professional, but the whole peaking and everything like that. It's like if the cases are going down and our testing's going up, I, I'm happy. It's, it's on a good place. So, um, you know, I had, I had a very interesting conversation with my therapist today. Mm, tell me. Because uh, mental, the mental health of this country is... is um going to hell in a handbasket because of the stressors of COVID-19. And, you know, I want to talk to our listeners out there. Do you, do you find yourself on the brink of, you know, we had a good conversation yesterday, you and I did on the brink of losing your shit or are you, are you holding it together or are you not? Or me and Sam were both losing it yesterday. Yeah. We had a little, we need, we, we needed some, um, we needed some good quality time yeah. to share with each other because <laughs> we were like, well, I don't know about you, but half the time I feel like I'm losing my shit. And, yeah. you know, and sometimes you just need to talk to somebody that you can talk to real things about. And I'm glad you're my friend to do that. And I'm very grateful for your friendship. And even though we don't t- trust anybody, no, the no. irony is at, like, we're not really trustworthy people. I mean, we're trustworthy, but we don't yeah. trust a lot of people. No. I find myself trusting you more than almost anyone for that reason. Yeah, I because know. I'm crazy. You're, and I know I can trust you're crazy. Yeah, you, you, I'm consistent in my yeah, crazy. Yeah, so we can trust you'll be a little exactly. crazy. Exactly. And, uh, and you can trust that I'm going to be a little crazy. But um, So, you know, mental health is, is really important right now. It's important that we take time to understand what's going on and that we can say to ourselves, what's happening is bad, but the way we're going to respond will be good. 
I think right now the self-narrative, the way you talk yourself is really a critical piece. Using your senses, talking to yourself, accepting the shitstorm that's happening, and then being grateful for what you can be grateful for, I think is a really, these are four key things to, to get yourself in a mindful state where you're not worrying so much about the future. You're losing your business or having panic attacks or yeah. what have you. So anyway, it's uh, be on guard, making sure you're exercising every day. You may have to, you don't go to the gym. I mean, we have, we're both lucky. We have gyms in our, in our houses. So I did, uh, I rode a bike for an hour today and lifted weights with Jake a little bit. And um, so I think that helped him feel better a little bit, but uh, he, he ran five miles this morning and, so he, I think he's getting he's getting back into normal life, and so he's doing good. So, what are some of the things you tell yourself? I mean, <clears throat> you really want to know? Well, I know one, I, I'll give you an example. What I tell myself is something very simple: is hey, if this lasts two months or whatever, that's not that long compared to other crap you've been through. That's true. That's true. The thing that's kicking my ass are the layers. Because I have some health problems, and then I have this COVID nineteen. Hey, more going on, right? And then I have Jake coming back from Africa, and then I'm you know, you know worried about my grown up kids, and then Steph, uh, my daughter in law, is a nurse, and she's going back to work, and she's going to be working with COVID. I mean, Jeez. patients, and like she's. I mean, I don't know exactly what she's going to do right now, but I mean, there's stressors there. Let me ask you one question about that. Now that you bring this up, because I have learned how to do this in my life, and people have seen me as cold. Because of it. No. I know. Ruthless and cold. <laughs> it's like, <laughs> I have learned, and I say it to Emily every once in a while. Okay, that's enough. I can't, I say to her, I can't take any more within my personal circle. Like, in the sense of, I can't deal with any more issues. Yeah. Like, I have reached my max, where there's all these five, six, seven, whatever they are, done. Like, I can't care, and this might sound very cold, but I can't care that so-and-so lost their job because I've already got my cup full. And if I do that, if I start caring about that, then I'm going to freak out or have a panic attack or do something. Right. So have you learned how to do Is that so healthy? Let me, let me tell you what I hear. What you're, what I hear you're saying is tells me you're mentally very healthy because what you're saying is you're creating a boundary. You're saying I have to, well, you, yeah, that, well, that's to. what mentally sound people do is they create boundaries when, you know, I had to do that with a young man that's living with us, and he kept on going on and on and on about his ex-wife and all this other. And I said, I said, son, you just got to, I'm going to set a boundary here. I don't want to hear her name, and I want to hear you talk about her anymore because it's completely irrelevant to your future. Yeah. And I said, you didn't have any kids, so you don't have to do child support. Me, child support. You're splitting your assets, and you get a new beginning. So I want to, I want to hear from you talking about your job or your future yeah. and your school. That's it. I don't want to, you, and I, cause it, I can't take it. Like I, 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 cause it drives me nuts and I have to set a boundary there. And I think you're good at setting boundaries. And I think you're also good at compartmentalizing things. Mm -hmm. So I think those two things serve you well. Um, for me, the thing I tell myself mentally is I just try to reframe things. Um, so for instance, this can be the worst thing that ever happened or the best opportunity in recent years. Um, and when I get overloaded because of the layers, to be honest, I just use the power of affirmation. I, and this week, this last the week. power of affirmation to yourself? Yes. Let me tell you the affirmation I've been saying this week a lot in Proverbs 3, 7. 
Trust in the Lord with all thine heart. Lean not unto thine own understanding in all thy ways. Acknowledge him, and he shall direct thy path. So I've said that probably 200 times in the last five days to remind me to trust, because I don't trust anybody, right? Right, right. Probably I trust you, um, but I don't trust many people, and and that includes the Lord sometimes, you know, and uh, so I need to just learn how to trust him. I know he's with me. I know this is going to wax religious folk. I don't mean to, but... I need to trust. I need to trust him. He's in charge, and things will work to my benefit. And uh, and they'll work to my benefit because I'll make them work to my benefit. Right. But I have to control the narrative because if I don't, then I'm just going to be a victim to what's going on. So sometimes I use straight up affirmation. Sometimes I reframe it. Sometimes I just escape it. There's a lot of different ways for me to get my narrative right, yeah. so that I can feel better. Because there's always a thought. There's always a thought before the emotion. So if you have a negative emotion, it was triggered first by a thought. Dr. Michael Open, my friend, taught me this. And um, if you have a positive emotion, it's because there's a positive thought. So you can. we are the only beings on this planet that can control our emotions through our thoughts because we, we have cognition. So we can think of our thoughts. And we can control our narrative so that we can control our emotion. And why that's important is because your emotions impact what you do in your behavior. So the more you, the more you can control your thoughts and emotions, the more you can focus on specific behavior that's going to solve problems for you instead of cause more problems. You see, I totally agree with that. And I, and I know we talked about this a little bit yesterday at my house, but once you do that, so if you're doing all those things and then you add the aspect of trusting God or whatever you believe in, how much do you really trust God then? Because you have to make a decision at some point in time that, okay, I'm doing all these things. And these are beneficial in a certain way. And then I trust God to fill in the gaps. But if this is working, where's that trust come in? Yeah. So I have probably a skewed version of trust. My Southern Baptist friends have wonderful version of trust. They just trust Jesus. Amen. Trust 100%. Jesus. They and just I'm like, trust everything else. and I'm like, okay. I trust Jesus, but I don't forget to, like I'm on a sailboat and I'm trusting Jesus and God that the wind's going to blow, but I'm also starting to row, row my boat. But then you have to trust that you might get killed in your sailboat. That's true. But I mean, at least I'm doing what I can. So the way I've learned how to deal with this is I trust God, but then I do everything I can do to make it work out for my benefit. Right. So (laughs) So so that's a practical. yeah. Yeah. So my definition of that is your trust of God equals gap filler. Right, right. I'll do what I can, and then he'll make up the difference. There, yes, yeah. That, that yes. would be that would be my definition. So my, my encouragement to all y'all out there is: do what you can, and let Lord, good Lord, take gap take the filler. rest. Yeah, gap filler. He fills the gap. Jeez, but I mean, it, it, it is a different mind frame that takes time to get used to. Because for me, when I think I'm out of control, when I don't have that control then that's what makes me crazy. Like when you're, when you let your thoughts run rampant. Well, yeah. And it's like, um, if I don't, it's kind of like what we talked about also is like when you, you change your thoughts, is this the most worst thing or is this an opportunity? Is the worst thing that happened to me or is this an opportunity? And then you decide it's an opportunity. Right. And then even with that thought though, the other thought comes in, well, you're going to fail at this opportunity. Then it never was an opportunity. And you should have believed in the first place that it was the worst thing to happen to you. Yeah, so it's change like, the thought again. Right. So you're running off the rails. That's like when the thoughts start controlling you. Yes. Right. Yes. And then you have to decide, 
okay, I'm going to just work my butt off and make this an opportunity or whatever it is situation in your life and hope the gap failure comes in because otherwise, but see, that's still in my mind. It's like, then you have the problem of, are you really doing as much as you can? And then you have the parable of talents. See, my mind just goes nuts. That yeah. Way. I can feel your energy around it. It's just like, whoa, whoa, whoa. And then you're like, well, maybe, maybe I failed at that because I didn't try my hardest. So I have a friend that wrote a book called, um, you already know how to do be great, but his name is Alan fine. It's a coaching book. And, and he talks about the biggest thing that takes people off, um, task is our distractions. And, uh, I think, especially these days, distractions are everywhere. They're easy. Everywhere. They're easy. They're so simple. It's so easy to be distracted. And um, it requires mental discipline and focus to not get distracted. And the people who are going to come out of this little shitstorm the best are the ones that stay focused now for the next two or three months. And they're the ones that are going to come out of this and uh, mm -hmm. with great success, rapid growth and rapid success. The ones that have lost their focus and lost their minds... The heavy drinkers and drunks are people that are, you know, using drugs and alcohol to, to cope with this or to be, you know, you know, creating doomsday damn scenarios because of the because of the news or whatever. Um, they're the ones that are gonna are gonna struggle coming out of this this um, this downturn. Um, but yeah. so and the I, question I, is, what do you focus on? Like, well, what is it that you're focusing on? In the next couple too. months, right? But then that goes right back to my point of the boundaries and the compartmentalizing is so key because it, it those are the distractions, right? So, you know, if you worry about certain things that are outside your control, then you've allowed something to divert your focus. Right, right. And the term worry, when you look it up in the dictionary, it means unwarranted concern in the damn definition is it tells you you shouldn't even do it. It's like ridiculous because so most how, of So what about, okay. Okay. So let's, I just want to play with that for a second. Good, let's do it. The unwarranted concern. What's the first example you think of when I say unwarranted concern? It, it's highly likely it won't happen. Okay. So, you know, you explained like 20 things that are going on in your life right now. Is there any one of them? And you don't have to say it out loud that now you would think is an unwarranted concern. Oh, hell yeah. There's a lot of them. Most of them are unwarranted concerns. So are you able to throw them out? Well, yeah, through, through affirmation, through reframing, through meditation, like you have, you have to have, you have to use tools. Your, your sheer will. Maybe that's why I'm cold is because I don't use tools. I'm just like, sorry, like you're gone. No. Yeah. So sheer will is the problem with sheer will, which helps. When you just will yourself not to worry about it, yeah. is your willpower wanes, and when you wane, you're susceptible to distraction. And so, I use willpower when I can and when I need to. When it wanes, I use other tools, like um, it's the what if, um, it's the what if scenario. What if this is the best thing that ever happened to me instead of the worst? Um, how can I? What can I learn from this? Uh, come from this experience. How can I be better because of it? Hmm. What empathy can I gain from it? These are 
these are questions over the years I've learned to ask. I just don't go to any of those questions. No, it's because you're just, you're rigid. You're more rigid with it. You know what you can, I just have no feelings around it. I think that's the problem is I have literally no feelings around it. Yeah. So you, it's it's a binary thing. It's black or white. On that it is. Yeah. So for me, I'm a little more gray, but you just, you're like a binary. It's like a one or an O. It's like, nope, I reached my limit. Boom, done, time out, everything else go to hell. And, yeah. Or this goes in that compartment, this goes in that. But you have amazing capacities to deal with multi-dimensional things because you can compartmentalize things. But when you reach that boiling over point, you shut it down, bam, hard. Just the, just the way you deal with things based on your gifts and you know your history, I would imagine, yeah. right? I, I guess. I don't know because... Knowing your childhood, well, the 10% I know of your childhood, I would think that you would be, just my guess, and obviously I'm not a professional, be more like me, but it almost seems like you have obviously more empathy for people than I do. And so you're, so it causes you more mental stress in these types of situations than it would someone like me that probably lacks that empathy. Yeah, so the reason I have empathy is because I should be dead, insane, or in prison and folks help me and that's, when they should they shouldn't help me. I mean, unless like, you reframing though, isn't it not? I well, mean, no, most, I mean, they just they but, let me stay with them when I was homeless. I'm like no, no, shit. No. They fed me when I was hungry. Like, like it was no, like no, no, I, mean, no. I could reframe it. But I mean, the truth is, no, reframe it in this way. Like most people that suffered, even if there's people that reach in and help you, right? That have suffered what you've suffered. Don't use that as a reason to cut off the world than to show empathy for the world is my point. And so you've reframed your situation to focus on the people that showed you empathy as if that, in my opinion, what you now have to do because you've learned that that was more positive than what you dealt with. Yeah. I can't, I can't explain why I've done that except it's more of a spiritual thing. This is where, just for a second, if you, if you couldn't say spiritual, what would you use? What word? I'd say Jesus Christ taught me this. Okay, if you couldn't Straight use Jesus, up. like no religion, what would you, uh, like, and I'm very religious. Don't yeah, give me No, one. no, I get it. But if you, if you, if you took that word or that concept yeah. or that category out, what would you call it then? I would, I'd call it forgiveness and atonement. Like a, this idea of forgiveness and atonement, like making things right and being and forgive people for the mistakes they make. So you find power in forgiveness. Oh, hell yeah. I mean, I think when the good Lord's, I mean, again, I know I'm going religious, but when we're commanded to be, to forgive people, it's not for the people that wronged us. It's for us because lack of forgiveness is like a, is like poison that runs through your, it's like a, it's like, okay, if if I was bit by a poisonous snake and I run around trying to kill the damn thing, the thing that's coursing through my veins is going to kill me. The poison the snake injected me with is going to kill me. Whereas if I deal with the injury and if I, you know, get, you know, the antidote, put my focus on that, I'll survive the snake bite. But if I don't, if I have vengeance and anger and want to kill the damn thing, it's just going to kill me. So I learned that probably when I was about 21 years old. Because I was a very angry young man, a very violent uh, football player. And then when I started having some sports injuries because of the way I hit people and just being reckless, um, and my sports career was sort of almost taken from me, uh, I, I had to have another narrative. Because <laughs> just get angry and kick someone's ass, you know, 
yeah. isn't always the answer. And uh, so for me, I had some people that were very influential in my, in my life that walked me through how to do that to heal. And it was really, really probably shaped how I, how I am as a person a little bit. Well, isn't forgiveness just reframing? Well, it's also letting go. I would say it's reframing. It's letting go. But it doesn't necessarily mean you trust the person that, you know, no, harmed you. No. You know, I mean, it's just not having personal angst about it. Well, I just think it's reframing. No, it's totally reframing. I think it's just I'm changing the way I'm thinking about the, what I went through because of this other person. Right. You're good at that. You're, you're really good. It's weird because people see you as cold, but you're really good at forgiving people. Yeah, but then I cut them off. Well, yeah, well, they, cause they breach trust. Yeah. They breach trust. You're out. Yeah. So you just, we talked about trust a couple episodes ago <laughs> and you just, you don't believe that you can rebuild it's trust. A currency. No. Yeah. I think it's a currency that can be rebuilt. Currency, and, so, yeah. It's cause so, Stephen no. Amar Covey has shared that with me, but, um, right, uh, right. but you have a very, again, black or white, right? You are when it very, comes to some things, yes. when it comes to some things, you're very binary and comes to other things. You have all sorts of gray I love to play in the gray. I love the gray. Yeah. But I think it's very simple. If you breach trust, I don't know. I just, I, and forgiveness is to me a reframing. Yeah, I agree with you that it is for my benefit. If I forgive somebody, it is purely for my benefit because I have now learned through the forgiveness. Right. And you move on, right? Well, yeah. I it, mean, allows you you to, it allows you to move on. Forgiveness it, for yes. me allows me to move on. Well, yeah, and then sometimes I come back to it and pull it out of its compartment, stomp on it a little bit more, and then put it back away and or use it for a motivation, right? Or use it for whatever I need at that point in time. You know, it's just, you know, sometimes you, I just think, just had a lot of weird things happen in my life when it comes to, like, forgiveness, trust, all those, not, in different categories than obviously you dealt with. Mine are all mental. Like, mine are all mind games well, and I think money. you I think you've been betrayed by some people that are close to you and I think that hurt and I yeah. don't think you want to have that pain anymore so you cut them off yes, it's very easy so you're just like I've had that I've had that pain before I'm well, not doing that well that, and here's my and I thought about this actually today too is when I cut them off the reason why I cut them off is because if I forgive somebody and then I go back to normal or whatever that even means then I am the more stupid individual I am the more, um, I am, I'm setting myself up to continually get taken advantage of. And so that's just not intelligent. That's not intelligent to do is to forgive and then go right back to it. This doesn't make sense. Yeah. So you forgive with an edge. Absolutely. I have to, because yeah. it doesn't make sense to me otherwise. I like, I like that. I'm, I'm sorry. I'm just gonna, I, I'm just gonna notice you have a sick ass watch on tonight. Oh, I got that's this watch because I had to copy Sam's Rolex. But oh it's my not Rolex! Oh my gosh, that is a sick. That's a tag, right? It's a tag. Oh my gosh, that's cool. And I love it, but I don't have the Rolly like Samuel. I've worn this watch every day for twenty five years. Yeah, and it's been through the ringer, but it. I asked Sam how much he'd sell it to me for. I guess you know the weird thing about it is when it you know new this thing retailed for maybe thirty five hundred bucks and yeah. I guess today it's worth eighteen thousand bucks. I offered him I offered him twenty, and my wife said no, no. way. No. And then I asked her this question: Well, how much would you let me sell it for? Because she gave it to me for Father's Day, yeah. twenty five years ago, and she said I wouldn't let you sell that for less than a hundred thousand dollars. And I said if I could get a hundred thousand dollars for this stupid watch. <laughs> 
I mean, I'd have a pool in my backyard. It'd be sick. And, uh, but she just got ridiculous on me. I just love it because now she's placed a value on it and I know what is needed. (laughs) (laughs) I would not let you pay me some ridiculous amount for Uh, this one. I just freaking have someone come dig a pool in your backyard and build a pool. (laughs) (laughs) We got the space for it. Be like, leave your Rolex on my doorstep. There's a pool. There's a pool. Being built in your backyard. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so... um, so getting back to the animal farm. So the pig was the, he was the big cheese, right? He's the big cheese in the beginning. I want to just, maybe What's I'll, the main lesson of the animal farm in your opinion? What's your power? It's all about power and control. It's all about power. It's all about power. Let's see. I was reading this verse. And this is, I mean, not verse. It's like I'm reading the scriptures. You are. You got the scriptures of <laughs> the, the animal farm. Scriptures. And the pig, the pig, this is the very beginning, gathers all the animals together. And he says, man is the only real enemy we have. Remove man from the scene and the root cause of hunger and overwork is abolished forever. Sounds like he's a socialist. Oh, yeah. Yes. (laughs) Man is the only creature that consumes without producing. Wow. The only creature that consumes without producing. I'm thinking, yeah, but you know what? Animals, we kind of own you. And so then I start thinking, what in my life am I allowing to control me that does not produce anything? Well, here's the ignorance of the pig. What if the man planted corn and produced the crop of corn or wheat or barley or the labors of the man produce, produce the vegetables from the garden and the wheat from the I'm so the glad field. you said this. Because and I'm like, that yes. is production. Right. And I love that you say that because here's... In my, so I think he, I think the pig's off. But. He is, but here's the, here's the super intelligence of the pig because you're absolutely right. But the pig controls the conversation and your focus, right? He's controlling the frame. He controls. He's a good frame. lawyer. Yes. <laughs> he has you thinking within his frame as if his frame is the only frame that exists. Yeah, there's one of my books here and I have to look at it, but it's all about, it's called controlling the frame. Yes. It's all about the, the frame. pig is brilliant at that. He makes you think, even as you read this for the first time, you're like, oh yeah, that's right. Man doesn't produce anything. He just consumes. No, stop. Yeah, it's madness. Anytime you hear something that comes to an ultimate conclusion, your first question should be, how can I disprove that? Right. What is the opposite or what is wrong with that statement? Instead, most of the times, if it's someone that we look up to or someone that we believe is smarter than us, we think that frame is correct. Yeah, so it's because there's a real lack of critical thinking in our country. And we don't uh, want to, though. No, I learned. We don't want to. I learned one of my favorite professors in college was a guy by the name of Dr. Philip Adler. And, and he taught me how to really critically think. And it's been one of the greatest lessons I've ever learned in my life is how to critically think through challenges and solutions. Five years of calculus will do that to you. Jeez. At Georgia Tech, you know, we had to take a lot of math. And that'll help you learn how to critically think as well. And when you go to law school, that's all you learn is critical thinking. See, and math never taught me critical thinking. Not not one time. I can't even think of a time that it would. Like, I don't know, numbers don't make me think. Then that's why I'm not a brilliant mathematician. Because mathematicians, people that think that way and actually see the bigger frame of numbers... That's where the beauty comes See, in. I would disagree. I would say you're a brilliant mathematician. 
And how, why would you think I would say that? Because I know how to count $100 bills. Yeah, because you run a <laughs> successful money-making business. Like, you make the Monet. So because you understand profit and you understand how to make money, I'd say you, you're a damn genius at math. Yes. And, and, and there, there needs to be some kind of critical money-making skills, money-making thinking you have to be able to have a successful firm like you have. It's called desperation. Yeah, but it's also desperation doesn't make you that damn successful. I'm sorry. You have a gift. You have a gift to be able to know how to make money in your, in your trade. It's knowing how to provide a value for people to get money from them. I, I remember thinking early on that I would have to sacrifice other things to be able to make money. And I had to figure out if it was worth sacrificing things to make money. Yeah. Well, you, you learned a lesson early about money making. Yeah, whether it's friendships, whether it's time, whether it's your kid's sports game, or whether it's this or that, you have to be okay with it. Yeah, everything has a trade-off. I didn't, I didn't learn that probably until I was two. I mean, when you grow up in poverty, you know, half the disease you're overcoming is your mind, your yeah. mindset around money. And so it took me a while to yeah. change my mindset around money. It was harder. Sense. I was probably, I'm probably 20 years behind you, even though I'm older than you. Money, it, money in your situation was used for a different thing than money was used for in my situation. Yeah. I mean, yeah. For me, it was for survival. Right. For you, it was. It was a game. Yeah. It's plenty. Yeah. Cause survival never was in question. No. And see, I never had those issues. I just didn't, that wasn't part of my frame. Right. You weren't burdened with that frame. No. Yeah. No. Fabulous. No, I don't know if it's fabulous or not. I, I mean, I don't know. I don't know. Different know. perspective. Yeah, it's different. Yeah. Because you have more empathy than I do. I don't know if I do. I oh, think you, you do. No, bullshit. I think you have empathy. You just don't no. let anyone see it. You don't want to be vulnerable. Because I, I know that you're a do-gooder. Like, you just don't let anybody know you do good. And, oh, uh, and I, I think you have another topic. Bro. Yeah, well, vulnerable. That, yeah, it'll be like the vulnerability <laughs> of Brian Arnold. <laughs> does not exist first of all i'll give the short i'll give you the cliff notes of the whole or the youtube video of the whole thing it just doesn't exist the vulnerability because i i the vulnerability yeah i don't know I, like, we talked geez. a little bit about this when you saw the Brene brown stuff and uh, yeah, we talked about minutes. it last time but but that's a whole other topic yeah it is a whole it is different what, i mean what minute are we at right now we're at 42 minutes yeah, see, and 39 definitely seconds. Definitely can't wrap that up. No, you can't. We got a, <laughs> one or two good things and we got to be off onto our listeners. So. I want I want people to think about vulnerability in their lives and what it's used for. Yeah, sometimes you can be vulnerable to manipulate people. Yeah. Sometimes you can be vulnerable because you need someone to connect. I to. question people's vulnerability all the time. I'm well, like, really? That's what you do for a living, man. That's what I mean. That, that's why... Most of the time in my life when I've seen someone vulnerable, I'd say 85% of the time, it's complete crap. It's their acting. Because they're trying to get to a different goal or outcome through vulnerability. And it, it, sadly, sadly, our society has taught women to do that way too much. So I'm going to say, um, I'm going to say two words, okay, which makes a mockery of vulnerability. I like it. The bachelor. Oh my God. That, that is the biggest crock of crap oh. I have. I know our listeners are going to hate us for it, but like that is fake vulnerability at its finest. Listen, I could fall in love with any five out of 10 girl in those freaking vacations they go on. 
Yeah, anybody's gonna fall in love yeah, and make so. out with some smoking hot chick and yeah. whatever. Stupid. I mean, like it's like let's get thirty. Ch- like the thing that gets me is whether it's the Bachelorette or it's the Bachelor. It's objectify. It's it's all about objectifying the opposite mm-hmm. sex, mm-hmm. and it's like if you're a girl and you're on that show, like do you not like yourself? Like oh, that's desperate. That just desperate. seems. And or if you're a man, desperate. on the Bachelorette and you're trying to get one, you know, fine looking bachelor. Like that's pathetic. I'm like, can you imagine what the pig and animal farm would say about those people? Yeah, he would say they don't produce anything. <laughs> They only consume. <laughs> they consume, and we need to kill them all. We need to kill them all yesterday. Is yeah, what he was and saying. Then, yeah, it's just all. Pl- I, and I'm like, in this, in this time, in this crisis time, this pandemic world, what in the hell has anybody got to do? With why, I mean, like, why would you want to watch the? I guess it's just an escape. It's an escape. It's an I escape. guess people are reliving their dating years or something. I'm like, it's really hard for me to kind of. Yeah, create a is. compelling value proposition it's drama. on that show. It's, drama. it's live reality TV, which, by the way, is all scripted. It's not live. It's no. all bullshit. <laughs> it's not just scripted. And see, that's what brings me back to my very first thought about the USS Mercy. These people produce something that is pure. These yeah. military people produce something that is pure. Yes, they're paid, but come on, people. They're not paid what they should be. It produces something that's pure. And very rarely in my life, have I seen production of purity? You know, I heard of President Donald Trump talk about healthcare workers today as warriors. Yeah. So you know what? They're producing right now. They are. And that's our pure. nurses, our doctors, and our healthcare providers, they're 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 not getting paid enough for what they're doing. No. And our military leaders, our military that are coming back home and helping sure up our borders and get these extra kind of building these extra hospitals and helping people. And I, that is just, that's a beautiful thing. Produce something pure. It, and I mean, it's just unreal to yeah. me. It is, it's By amazing. their fruits, you shall know them. And, uh, you know, this in this particular case, they're doing a lot for our country. And wow. I, I'm full of gratitude for well, them. Thank you to all the military, past, present. We're going to go back out with uh, Born in the USA. You got it. All right, y'all. Until next week, man, be safe and... Stay party make, hard. Party hard and make sure you're doing social distancing. Yes. Until next week. Later.